What has it been like to start a PhD online, at home, during a pandemic? Today on the show, it's just me sharing my reflections on the first few days of this new educational journey. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are Teaching Tomorrow. So I totally get that solo episode is not everyone's thing, and if you're more into those traditional episodes where I talk to somebody inspiring in education, then just skip this episode. We'll be back in two weeks with another inspiring, amazing show. But before you go, just remember to fill out the listener survey. The link is in the show notes. That gives me some very helpful and valuable feedback to help plan this next season of the podcast. Uh, I'm really excited to talk a little bit more about what this PhD has been like. In this episode, I talk a little bit about the ups and the downs, what it's like to be figuring this out during a pandemic with two kids at home, and share a little bit about uh, the landscape of this new chapter in education. So let's get right into it. Hey y'all, I am uh, recording this on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, after the first week of my PhD, the first of, I don't know, 80,000 weeks, who knows how long this will take. Uh, I've had a couple of requests from people saying that they wanted, um, you know, like a journey inside into the world of doing a PhD. So every now and again, I'll give you little updates on what this is like and what's going on and what I'm, what I'm going through. I just need to say from the get-go that I'm coming off of my youngest child having a half an hour temper tantrum, which is super special. That's never happened before. So I'm feeling a little bit emotional and a little tired. Speaking of which, this is my first week of classes and I've had out of the last seven days, so school has been open for seven days um, for my children. I've had kids home with me three of those days, which is super special. We had... So Jasper was home. He had like a runny nose, which then turned into a cough. So we had to get him tested for COVID negative. Amazing. Um, Once his symptoms cleared up for the most part, he was able to go back because our screening forms for our daycare that they're using um, says as long as things are clearing up and they're COVID negative, they're good to go. So he got to go back to school. Um, But then he barfed like just he's not a barfy kid, just barfed out of nowhere. So then we had to get him tested again for COVID, which is super fun. So two tests for him in one week, uh, again, also negative. So then once those symptoms cleared up and like he doesn't he was never a pukey baby. And just like a lot of like three times in the last 24 hours he had thrown up. So he had lost a lot of like fluid. So we had to have a very concentrated effort to get him to drink water and to get like a 15, 16 month old to drink water is not very easy. So we had to like put it in a little dropper for him, drop it into his mouth. Anyway, this is all too much details, but he finally got to go back to daycare. It's driving him to school. He is very sunshiny and happy. Everything's great. Talking to Ambrose in the backseat of the car and literally out of nowhere, my older son just starts puking like oh great so it was it was catchable whatever you had jasper ambrose got it now too so yeah so then i had to get ambrose tested for covid um also negative but i have to say that the covid testing systems now are so much better i can go online get an appointment somewhere in the city um you know for ambrose as i was able to get his 
for like half an hour later, we loaded into the car, we drove down, we got the test. By that evening, like by 12 hours later, we got the results. And Ambrose is, just like Jasper, is cleared up in 24 hours. So he was completely back to normal. So all this is to say that, you know, I start this thing and it doesn't feel like anything has really started yet because I've had kids home with me. I've had to do my classwork from the couch watching. Um, oh my God, what is Ambrose into watching these days? Well, we were watching a lot of Transformers recently and just watching a lot of TV with him while he was not well on the couch. So yeah, so if this continues, I think it'll take me 18 years to finish the PhD, which is super fun. Totally what I thought getting into it. And we'll see how this goes. I will say that now that the ministry um, documents have updated it, so you can send children to school now with a runny nose, or at least I know that it's inconsistent. Some people don't have that experience. So you know, Jasper has, whenever he cries, he gets a little bit more of a runny nose. So he can still go to daycare, which is good. Like it's clearly not COVID and I, I'm not a researcher, but apparently runny noses aren't like a really clear correlation to having COVID. So I'm grateful that runny noses can go to daycare, but I also just have had all these really strong feelings about how kids not being able to go to care or go to school really impacts Traditionally, the mother, which is really not great for working moms. If I were actually teaching this year, it would have been even harder to have had three days off this week. And that, you know, then my mind goes to like, what if single parents do? How is this all working out for them? It's hard to, between my wife and I, she has a much more, I have a much more flexible job, um, being that my job is to be a student and I have some like work commitments attached to that studentship, but it's harder for her to just cancel her clients than it is for me to say, okay, I can do my coursework in the evening or okay, I can get up a little bit earlier and read my readings then. So the gender divide of like mothers and women taking on more of the childcare looks different in our family, but, um, it still is it still is disproportionately falling on my workload so my mental health gets a little bit uh shifted in that this is all to say i'm sure that many of you listening have had very similar experiences with children being kept home or children getting sent home or not being able to go and do your job so this is this is real for a lot of us and um, it's going to keep going for a little while because that's the world that we're in right now so I wanted to take you into this experience and clearly having children home is part of that. But my life does look different now. And I wanted to do a solo episode this week to talk a little bit about what it is like to do a PhD. Um, I'm gonna to touch on four big questions. So what does my life look like now? Why am I even doing this? Which is something I've been asking myself all kinds of ways and at all kinds of times. And then what are the best parts and what are the hardest parts of what we're doing? Um, so maybe I'll actually start with why am I even doing this? Um, I talked a little bit about this on my friend's podcast, The Teacher Hotline. I'll put the link into the show notes. Uh, but it's a it's a valid question that, you know, various parental figures in my life have lovingly asked me. And as I'm looking at the next couple of years, sometimes I'm like, why, why am I doing this? But having a really solid why I think is very important. You know, when you're training for a marathon or if you're doing something that's a little bit hard, uh, you need to know why, because you need to have a reason to keep going. So to take you back, I've always wanted to do a PhD. This is something that I 
knew was inside of me when I was doing my master's degree. My initial teacher certification was a master's um, and initial teacher certification in one. So we had um, a pretty, pretty awesome research component in our teacher pedagogy courses and curriculum courses. And I loved the research. Um, I was really lucky uh, to be able to teach in a school that really values that idea of teacher as researcher. My role with Cohort 21, I know a lot of Cohort 21 people listen to this, uh, that is a role that really helps to encourage teacher as a researcher. So all of those things I feel like were kind of foundations for this, this move. And then by doing the podcast for the last three years, I've really been able to research and interview people and get to see a different side of education than what I see in my own school or my own classroom context. And that for me really made it clear that this is something that I really want to explore and go into. I also have to admit that, uh, you know, when I applied for the PhD, it was November of last year. I hadn't gone back into the classroom yet after having my second child, and I hadn't taught in a COVID classroom, really. I had two weeks of distance learning before my youngest child was born. So I wasn't, you know, running away from the stresses and the challenges of a COVID classroom. But I definitely feel like the seven-ish months that I had teaching during the pandemic it made it really clear that I was ready for something different. It's a hard time to be a teacher. It's a hard time to be in education. And I wanted to be able to start this chapter of my life now. And I wanted to be able to, (laughs) part of it was financial. I'm like, if I start it now, I'll be able to pay it off sooner. Um, I'm not getting any younger. And my children now are at the age where they're in care and I don't have to be at home with them all day unless they keep getting sick, of course. Uh, So all these things, my love of research, my wanting to delve into something deeply and also just the, the yearning for something different to explore a different side of teaching. Um, All those things are kind of going into why I want to do it. My life doesn't look super different than it did when I was at home with my children. Um, So a typical day in the life of me right now um, is I wake up usually around 5.30 in the morning. I start my day always with coffee um, and I try to start my day reading something. Um, Sometimes it's like for fun, but lately I've been reading a lot more article work for classrooms, for my classes. So sit down have a coffee, read something. Generally, the children start waking up around 6, 6.30ish. So like usually between 6 and 8, it's just like the child show of wrangling them into having breakfast and putting shoes on and clothes on and brushing teeth. Um, All of that kind of happens between that span. And then around 8, we go and do, we've got a two-kid drop-off system right now. So I strap the children into the car seat. So we listen to kids' short stories on the way to uh, the first drop-off, which is daycare drop-off. And then the second drop-off is school drop-off for the older one. And then by about like 8.40, 8.45-ish, I'm getting back in the car. And then I get to listen to my podcasts, which is like just the best part of my day when I get to just drive in a quiet car and listen to something just for me. I am really obsessed right now with the Ezra Klein show. My wife got me into him and it just makes me feel 
oh, just like so happy and it's really intelligent conversations about really smart things and maybe I understand like 25% of it, but he generally will do like political shows, but now he's kind of branching off into more cultural content, which I really love. There's a awesome episode about octos, octopuses, octopi, I think octos is the right word. And uh, of course the daily, I have to get my daily dose in there. Or if I'm like feeling a little sporty that day, maybe an Alley on the Run episode or something from Glennon's new podcast. So yeah, so I get back home around nine-ish. And then if I have no children with me, I usually have like between 9 a.m. and about 2 p.m.-ish just to get class stuff done. Now I have no classwork, official classwork during the daytime right now. So I have one asynchronous class and then I have two classes that are happening in the evenings. So that 9 to 2 p.m. chunk is like time for me to be doing readings. It's time for me to, I'm actually putting together this um, shirk proposal right now. So it's time for me to be writing and editing and um, just putting together all those thousands of pieces that are required for this. I'll share a little bit more about the Shirk proposal process because that's super interesting and I'm like very intrigued by it um, as a new person to this whole thing. And then by 2 p.m. I'm going down to pick up the older one first and then come up the hill, pick up the younger one. And then like generally from like 3.30 to 6, it's like me and just the two kids. So there's no work that can happen during that time. It's just taking them to a park or you know, giving Ambrose some TV time and playing in the backyard with Jasper or, you know, actually the other day we, I took Ambrose and Jasper to the ROM, which was so much fun. Um, Actually, no, Jasper was still at daycare. So I took Ambrose to the ROM and it was amazing. We just had this nice little, oh no, I'm lying. Jasper was with us. Um, It's so hard to remember things these days. Do you find that as well? You're just like, I have no memory of my life. Um, Yeah. So we went after school and we went to a museum, which was amazing. And then get home, Les has finished her client work around six-ish. And then we have like, I get Les and me and the boys um, for dinner. And then Jasper goes to bed by 6.30. And we've sort of figured out this arrangement where Les is doing most of Ambrose's bedtime stuff because I'm up first with him in the morning. So then as soon as Jasper goes down around 6.30, then I can go back into school mode. Um, You know, off and on, Ambrose often needs me or wants to be doing some stuff with me. We've recently gotten into drawing with each other, which is super fun. We'll watch these YouTube kids art hub videos and they're so good. And we just sit there and we draw together after dinner, which is such a delight. He's like actually really getting good at things, which, you know, last year, a lot of his drawings were scribbles and now he can actually make things look like other things, which, you know, if you have a child that's been doing this for a while, maybe it's not that cool or earth shattering, but as a parent who hasn't seen that happen, I am really excited by it. So it's fun. We were drawing um, Princess Twilight, the My Little Pony unicorn the other day. It's amazing. We're just having fun with that. Um, so yeah, generally between like 6.30, 7-ish and then 9, I'm, you know, doing some more course readings or posting on my um for my asynchronous class. I have classes that happen in the evenings from like five to eight. So two days out of the week, I'm upstairs doing the classwork. 
it's amazing being a student in a synchronous class online. It is actually quite lovely to see everyone's names underneath their little icons like oh I can learn your name while I'm looking at your picture and having great facilitation is just so lovely like my first class um you know we just spent like almost an hour and a half learning each other's names and the stories behind each other's names like yes please that that felt really lovely and so nourishing I didn't love being a teacher of online classes and you can go back to the podcast episodes where I talk a little bit more about this, but you know, my students struggled to put their cameras on for various valid reasons, um, but it was hard to feel that connection. So on the other side of things with adults as students, it's really quite lovely. Um, so my days usually end around like 9.30. I'm going to bed pretty early these days and that's kind of like typical day in the life. It's a, the work time is intermixed with kid time when I'm with the children I try to just be with the children when I'm doing schoolwork I try to be as efficient and as focused on it as possible it really I find it really does help knowing that I only have until 2 p.m to get as much of this stuff done as possible I'm not futzing around on social media as much I'm definitely not cleaning up my closets like I thought I would when I was home with no children that's not happening but it's it feels really nice to be able to get some stuff done during the day which is a perfect segue for talking about what are the best parts of this new life of mine. Well, one of them, I mean, before the kids had to stay home for three days in a row, um, you know, my wife and I actually got, and I feel like this is really scandalous to say this right now, um, we actually had time to go and play tennis. Yeah, like we put it in our calendar. We had a morning where neither of us had anything booked. So at 10 a.m., we went to a park really close by and we played tennis with each other for like almost an hour. I'm not very good at tennis. It's like the only sport that Les is actually good at and really, you know, quite a lot better at it than I am, which is amazing. We had so much fun. It was awesome. Um, It was like this delicious treat in the middle of the day. It was like I don't know, like, you know, those days where you go out and have lunch with your friends during work before you know you could actually do that and you have a glass of wine at noon and you're like, this feels so fancy. It felt like that. So we put it in our schedule. If all of our kids are back at school, we're going to try to do that every week while the weather is still nice just to actually like, you know, have time with each other as a married couple. That's been really hard to do. Um, you know, A lot of my friends who have two kids have said this before, but it's like you're two single parents sometimes just playing defense, one with one kid, one with the other. Um, The other really great thing is, you know, even though it was super annoying to have two kids home with me, it's not debilitating to have kids home with me. My days are pretty flexible. Um, You know, if I don't get that time to edit my shark application, then I can do it at the end of the day or I can do it when one of them naps. So in this bonkers chapter of the pandemic you like it's really hard to have two parents with very inflexible jobs I'm seeing more and more women especially opting for a more flexible work situation that often pays less in order to figure out and navigate childcare. and we don't know how much longer schools will be open for you know schools have been open for a week and two days seven days basically and nobody knows like will we get to november will we get to december how far will we go what's going to happen with delta so a lot of people are opting for more flexible situations and at first i was like 
I'm not going to be that kind of woman. I'm not going to sacrifice my career for my children. I did this project about the gender wage gap with one of my colleagues. And I'm like, this is totally messed up that women are opting for less pay because that's just what they're told to by society. I had all these ideas. And then you have kids. Well, I have kids. The pandemic hits. And of course, that's what happens because reality, it's like, I remember saying I was not going to give my kids screen time and then I had my kids and I realized, oh no, screen time is amazing. I love screen time. You have to work. You have to do whatever works for your family. And it, it's hard to be the one who has to have the more flexible job right now, but I'm also really grateful that I can have this kind of job where, you know, I say job in quotations because I know I'm a student. There are some job components to this, but to be able to have a flexible work situation is really important right now for me. Oh, okay. So another thing that is amazing. I feel like I've had one online class so far, a synchronous online class in the evening because my second one happens every other week. And already in that first class, it feels like there's a community there, which is a very rare and precious thing. It, it totally helped that the second I logged in, I saw a friend of mine, um, which was just this wonderful delight. Um, Adam Kaplan was in my first class and it made me just so happy to see somebody that I know. And like, we was through the Zoom platform and instantly we just direct message each other, like, oh my God, why are you here? And I didn't even know that he was doing his MED. Um, so we just had this moment. It was like walking into a party and being like, you're here, that's the best. So great to be able to see a friend in a different context. And and like the other great thing about this class, it's a critical literacy class. Um, it's giving me reasons to do things I love, like reading and writing. One of our first assignments was to do a literacy vignette, something from your life about like a literacy experience or a series of literacy experiences. And it was just really fun to write about my childhood bookstore in Belleville, Greenlee's, and then the experience of getting my first library card at the Hastings Public Library up the road. And it, those are the kinds of things that I love to do. I love reading. I love writing. I love doing school, which is sort of why I became a teacher. And having those excuses is definitely one of the best parts. There's been various like little things in the background going on. So there's this SHRC application. Um, and if you don't know, SHRC is an acronym. It stands for Social Studies, Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council. I think I got that right. And with my program in the PhD, it's funded, which means I get a little bit of a stipend, I guess you could say, for doing the work. Um, that covers my tuition and then a little bit of living expenses. Um, I was on EI the last year, um, employment insurance, when I had my second kid, and it's comparable to the paycheck that I got on EI. So it's not a lot. You can live off of it. Um, but I definitely, um, yeah, I definitely have noticed <laughs> there's less money in our bank account, especially compared to having a full-time 10-yeared teaching salary. So the one of the conditions of being in the funded cohort of the PhD is that you have to apply for a major external award once a year. And so SHRC is one of those awards and it's a merit-based scholarship and they have different versions of this and it's from the government of Canada. Um, so PhD students, master's students, professors, um, researchers, they can apply for SHRC funding and it's a very big deal and it's very hard to get. And it kind of feels like 
the Olympics of academia. So in my department, you submit your application and the first level is the department reading. So it feels like, you know, the provincials um, or your regionals. And people who are within my department um, will all be competing to get to the next round. And there will be people within OISE, my department at U of T, that will read the applications and then they send the best ones on to the School of Graduate Studies at U of T. And then from that pool, then they decide who's going to go, you know, is it going to be this anthropology one? Is it going to be the psychology one? Is it going to be this? Um, I don't even know what other things there are out there. So then they choose which applications they're going to send forward to the national level, which is the, they say like sending it to Ottawa. So I think I might be getting the stats wrong, but I think like out of last year, out of like 22 people that applied at OISE, 11 got to the graduate school level. And then from that 11, like nine or eight got to Ottawa. And then from those nine or eight, four of those people got funding. And the funding is pretty significant. So it's, you know, around like $30,000 a year. And that way, you know, the government is funding you rather than the university. And, you know, then there's some other things that you can have access to to top that up like you could work as a research assistant or you could work as a TA or you could potentially like do a sessional course as a PhD student so there's ways to top that up but it's a pretty big deal and weirdly the more so if you get shirk you're more likely to get shirk later so if you were to get shirk in your first or second year of your PhD you would have it for think four years I may be wrong on that but you get it for a number of years and then if you were to do apply for a postdoctoral fellowship and you say on your application oh I got shark before then you're more likely to get it again it's kind of like this notable feather in your cap and it makes it much more clear that like you're a good researcher you know what you're doing you have the credentials behind you whether that's fair or not, I'm not here to, to decide that, but that is just one of those realities. So it's very competitive. People really want it. And so I, you know, I'm putting an application forward and I definitely do not have hugely high hopes. I think that the process of putting the application together and trying to articulate what I want to research is the point of it. I don't need to get the funding in order to have gotten a tremendous amount out of this learning experience and writing experience already because I've you know, given it to a number of people and they've given me feedback on it and it's made me think more deeply and critically about the research I want to do, which is awesome. And the thing that I'm noticing, so this is kind of coming back to like, what is the best part is that everybody really wants grad students to succeed. And I say grad students because I don't think that I'm special in this, but I've really felt like People want me to succeed. People want me to do well. So I'll send my draft to somebody and they'll give me amazing feedback on it. And they're like, oh, think about this or oh, think about this. One of my former professors had a, you know, half an hour phone call with me about it. I'm like, this is very helpful. Thank you. And then there was a course that was offered and I took the course and the instructor is this incredible woman just really like offering so many suggestions, meeting with people for these small group peer feedback sessions. And all these mechanisms and systems are in place because the school wants us to succeed. And that is a wonderful feeling that the feedback that I'm getting is critical so that I can be better. The support that I'm getting is targeted so that I can be even more specific. And I love that. I love that feeling that there is a 
community around me to make me better, which is quite lovely. It's quite a lovely feeling. Uh, I don't want to end on the hard things, so maybe I'll find a way to wrap this up in a more positive way. But um, the hardest parts, like I said before, um, just the flexibility of having to have kids home with me sometimes and not knowing when that would happen. Another weird hard thing, I thought my first day of classes was on Monday of this past week, the beginning of the week. I have a class that goes every other week um, for the whole year rather than every week for half a year. And I was like in panic mode because I didn't get the course link. I couldn't find where it was. I went to the, you know, all these different pages within the U of T system, couldn't find where it was posted. I actually like have um, sort of a connection with the prof. So I was able to email him and say, hey, I don't know if this was sent out before because I had to register for the course late. Is there a link for it? Didn't hear back from him. I'm like, obviously I don't hear back from him because he's teaching the course. And I just have this like spiral of anxiety happen. And I realized that, you know, I'm like, I'm just going into like this narrative of I'm a bad person. This is terrible. This is the worst way to start. People are going to think less of me. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm such an imposter. Turns out my prof emailed me and the class starts the next week. No worries. No big deal. I was completely floored at how easy it was for me to feel like I'm not good enough and how quickly that just that story just took off. So I, I'm going to have to keep that in check. I think that I have this idea that if I ask for help or if I show that I don't know something that people will think less of me and I have to really... I have to confront that in many ways of my life, but I really noticed it right then. Uh, yeah, so that happened. Um, I also am finding that I need a different note-taking or article reading strategy. Um, I don't know if you found this, but with my undergrad and my master's, I just feel like it was not always courses that I knew I was going to do something with. So I'd read an article and take some notes on it or highlight it and then kind of like log it away and like file it away and not really do anything with it. But now I'm taking courses and I'm reading articles and I'm like, ooh, this might be really helpful for my dissertation or, oh, this concept is really important. I really have to grasp it. And my highlighting and annotating, I... I need to just find a system that works for me that I can be consistent with. Um, how to like, I think I just need to like put together a chart with all of the basic information, a few key quotes, the summary of the article, a link to the article. Um, and things are coming really fast already, even though I'm only in like two and a half classes right now. Um, so there is this sense of, okay, I need to figure this out. This isn't working for me yet. Um, I've got like maybe two days to really figure it out what's going to work for me. I have found some really nice YouTube channels about this really lovely woman with a British accent. I'll put a link in the show notes to it where she's like talking about her organization for her PhD and I love it. And I've stolen a few strategies from her. So I just need to like go back and watch some of those to find some other note-taking strategies. But I think it's a good lesson to me that the strategies that I had in my master's and the strategies that I have, um, you know, as a student, might not be working for me right now because it's been 11 years since I've been an official student and I need to find a system that's going to be reliable, that's going to be easy, and that's going to help me access this information when I'm writing my lit review eventually. I'm also really enjoying the idea that like the grade is not that important. I'm actually really reading to learn. Um, the grades 
obviously do matter if I'm going to be getting scholarships, but that the point that I'm after is not to, you know, regurgitate information for a test, which is who I was in my undergrad. And in my master's, it was more about like, what can I use in my classroom? What can I use in my practicum? What can I use as a teacher? And if it wasn't useful for me, I wasn't necessarily like really focused on it. And now I'm thinking more deeply about my dissertation and about the topics that I want to research and how this is going to help me um, and the research projects that I'm attached to and how is this going to like further that project. Um, So it's a very different reason for reading and I like it a lot more. It feels so much more authentic and it's a shame that really it just took doing a PhD to get to this point in education. Like I wish that grade nine reading felt like this. Um, And I know that that's really hard and that there's a lot to unpack there, but um, I really enjoy this kind of reading a lot more. So harder, but I enjoy it a lot more. I'm also having to read some articles like three times just to get what they're saying. Um, The way that academics write, I am not used to yet. So super fun. And I also another reason why I need to take different kinds of notes to be able to make sense of it. It's almost like a different language for me and that might change in a couple of weeks, I hope. Um, But I really have so many questions about why academic articles are written in such an inaccessible way. Uh, Lots of theories on that one. So hard parts, there are good parts. Um, My life My life is better now. I will say that my life feels a little bit better now than it did in the summer when I had both children with me full time. And uh, yeah, my next steps are just, uh, you know, just trying to get my last couple of drafts in on this Shirk application, which is due on Wednesday. And I feel like once that's out of the way and once that's submitted, I can really focus fully on what I'm reading. Uh, and yeah, my fingers are crossed that I might actually get a full week with both kids in care. It feels like such a, such a gift and such a blessing when they are actually in their forms of learning so that I can focus on learning. So we'll see. Uh, whew, that's a lot there. Um, <laughs> I will keep you updated as things go. Uh, I should say that one of the things that I am working on with the podcast is to just reimagine what it looks like this year. And I've asked people to fill out a listener survey. And I thank you so much for those people who have already done it. It really does help. And I enjoy, I read every single response and I really enjoy hearing the awesome things that are working for you about the show and the things that you want to have improved. One of the things that I'm going to be doing, and this has come through pretty clear already in the responses I've gotten, is um, I'm going to do a show every two weeks, generally. And I'll take some time off in December and some time off in March or some time off over the summer. Um, But I'm going to intersperse uh, some solo episodes with the process of doing a PhD with some traditional conversational um, podcast episodes but I want to hear what everybody has to say so if you are hearing this and if you haven't done the listener survey the link is in the show notes it should take you no more than eight minutes to finish it you don't even have to answer every single question because not every single question will apply to everybody equally if you want you can be entered into a draw for either an indigo or a starbucks gift card Um, i realize some people in the states don't have access to indigo so that's why i threw starbucks in there i was thinking amazon but then jeff bezos has already too much of our money Uh, so starbucks or indigo seemed a little more universal 
Uh, and that way I can actually design the next couple of uh, episodes or the next arc of this podcast so that it is going to fit better for what you need because it's such a great thing that you're listening and that you uh, are benefiting from this show. I get so many nice little messages and emails and notes from people that are impacted by the show. So I would love to hear from you in the form of a more specific listener survey. So thank you for those of you who've done it. I can't wait to hear uh, all the other things from you. So we're going to close off here. I am so excited to hear more about what's working well for you and what you want to see changed in the podcast. Keep sharing your thoughts with me. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.